We are here because we know the outcomes in our lives are within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That chasing excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run, always chasing, never stopping. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Chasing Excellence. How are you, Ben? Excellent. Thank you, Patrick. Excellent. Good. We're back to our two-minute drill. Today, two-minute drill is when I go through my many Instagram DMs and uh, pull out all the good questions that our listeners send us that they are curious about, and then I challenge you to answer them within two minutes, which is always fun. Uh, and sometimes you just talk real fast and sometimes you actually get it done. So we'll hmm. see. We'll see what today we'll see what today brings. Um, for folks who want to get questions into the list, just find me on Instagram, PS Cummings, send me a DM and I will add it to our long list. Ready? Rock and roll. All right. First question we've got for the competitive non elite 35 plus athlete regarding the CrossFit Open qualifiers competition performance. Do you think that there's a benefit to training year round for it? Or can the same performance level be achieved by training for it seasonally? For example, training a wide range of fun things, including CrossFit, up until the fall, winter, and then hitting the CrossFit-specific stuff hard until the open, basically creating a season like they do in other sports. My hypothesis is that for us non-elites, we can get to the same level, maybe even higher, by not focusing on solely CrossFit 365 days a year. Okay. Uh Yes, you can reach a high level by not focusing on CrossFit 365 days a year, but not the way that this person is suggesting it, which is there's four seasons and only one season are we doing that because that's not like other sports. Other sports, there is one off season, which is the singular season. And then the other three seasons are in season or preseason or whatever it might be. So that is the way even the elites train is there is an off season for the super elites. It's one It's anywhere from like one to four weeks off. Some people take, if you've been in the games, so general principle for every, start with two, everyone's got to take two. And then for every year you've been in the games, you take another year off, another week off. So if this is your fifth CrossFit games, you could take up to seven weeks off after the games. If this is your first CrossFit games, take two weeks off and get back into it. That's kind of a really general principle for an off season. Mm -hmm. If you want to compete in the open, and do the best that you can, which it sounds like this person wants to do. No, you can't just go, um, you know, four or five weeks before the open start to get ready for it. You will not be able to see the same gains, obviously, as if you were to do this for an entire year. Just like mm-hmm. it was any other sport, if you want to get good or any other activity, if you want to get, become a good writer, you can't just all of a sudden, right before it's time to um, write your book, practice writing for two months. If you do it all year long with a break for clarity's sake, for a break for sustainability. That's the way to become better at something. Got it. Next question. I would love to learn more about how the male to female cardio calories are determined. I assume like on mm-hmm. the concept two mm-hmm. or the aerosol or whatever. Was there some kind of science experiment? <laughs> I love that question. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I love this question. Okay. So it's, <laughs> uh, it's a really good question. So because the, cause this person's point it's, it's wrong. That's why this person's asking the question. The way we figure it, mm. it's, it's, it's off. So it's cool that this person's asking this question. So the way it started was it was based off of the, the, the weights and the loads. So that was female weights were 68% of male weights. Everyone rounds up to 70. 
but 135, 95, 155, 105, 185, 135, 225, 155. That's just like, those are where those things came from. And then what they did was then we took the 70% principle over to the cardio machines. But that doesn't match up. That's why girls beat guys in cardio events because Mm. it's not a strength thing. It's a engine thing. And the girls, by the way, the the loads that was saying, was there some sort of experiment? Yes. And it's called the Olympics for weightlifting. Mm. So you just take what is the world-class numbers for guys? What is the world-class numbers for, um, for females? And it ends up being around 70%. If you take the world-class 2K times for guys and then you go against the world-class 2K times rowing for girls, it's not 70%. It's closer to 90%. Mm. So we shouldn't be going towards 70%. So this person's question is awesome because it's not 21, um, 15. It should be more like 21, 17, 18. That's really Mm -hmm. where it should be closer to. Now to, it's where we're so entrenched with this to make that shift that it's going to be a lot. It's kind of like anything, things in motion tend to stay in motion, act upon by another force. That force is going to be really big. And I think it's going to have to be the CrossFit Games and the Open saying, if we're going to shift the calories, which by the way, in competition, they don't usually. Usually it's the same, which is also wrong because- they have events that start off with a 50 cal bike for guys and 50 cal for girls. And then something afterwards for the guys, it's a nothing. It's a buy-in. It doesn't matter for girls. It's entirely the bike. So mm-hmm. there has to be some sort of standardization from HQ about what this looks like for the rest of us to fall into place. But love the question because it's pointing out a fault in the system. Next question. What are your thoughts on lactate threshold training? Is this something you program into training when ramping up for the games? Uh, We don't ramp up with it. We do it all the time. And so do you. Like every time you are doing a workout um, in CrossFit, you are essentially doing, I mean, we have to talk about what threshold it's. I don't care what the threshold is, whether it's aerobic, anaerobic, lactic, whatever it is. Lactic threshold isn't even really what people think it is. Lactic is not the waste product that eats away your muscles. Lactic is actually a fuel source. Your body actually uses lactic, but it doesn't matter because it's the premise. It's not the science. So the idea Mm -hmm. is working right at that threshold of technique versus intensity. Working right at that threshold, say another way, that red line. Working right at that Mm -hmm. where it's like, this is as hard as I can work before I'm going to explode. This is as hard as I can work before I'm going to dip and go slower. So what that really looks like in terms of your training is the maximal sustainable pace. And this is anything under a two-minute event needs to take this into consideration. If it's under two minutes, 500-meter row, don't do it. Just like go balls out everything you got. But anything over three minutes, basically anything over an elite-level Fran, you have to put in some pacing. And that pacing is at your threshold, which is the blend of technique versus intensity and the maximal sustainable load. So do we do this leading up to the games? Yup. But we also do it in October, November, December, January, February, March, and April. Like it's the, Mm. we're always doing it because the magic happens at your threshold. This is where you make gains. It doesn't matter if you're doing thrusters and pull-ups or if you're learning to drive a race car or learning to type or learning to become a classical violinist, it happens at this 
speed versus technique, which means if you're learning to type and I go, just type as fast as you can. It doesn't matter how many mistakes. You just pound on the keyboards and I say, you're not going to make any gains from that or minimal gains. Mm -hmm. If I say, go so slow that you are sure you never have to hit the space back button, delete, whatever it is, and you make no mistakes that you can't make, that's going to be too slow and you're not going to get better at typing. What you need to do is go at your threshold, which is let's see how many words a minute you can type, but we're going to say, we're going to accept this amount of error. And that's up for determination. Some people say it's a lot. It's okay if you crash your car 10 times a season. Other people say, no, if you crash once, that's it. It's okay. Bodie Miller as a ski racer crashed like 50% of the time. That's up for each individual camp coach whatever it is, methodology to determine what the threshold actually is. And some people mm-hmm. believe that you make the best results gains by really pushing threshold. Other people say it's, no, it's more about virtuosity and perfection and looking good in the technique. So where you are on that threshold is up to for you to determine. But if you're not in there somewhere, we're missing a big part of the training. Got it. Next question. My brother just started coaching middle school age kids in soccer. How can he speak to them about mindset and work ethic in a way that would resonate with that age group? What an awesome brother. Like he's asking this question for his, that's so cool. And love the question because, you know, mindset isn't, we we came across this with a a podcast that we just did recently. Um, Mindset isn't everything, but it affects everything. Mm -hmm. So it's the right question. But you have to talk to them. I love it in their terms and where I would start is basically the number one most effect is the number one principle, which is understand what's inside your control and understand what's not. If you just talk to your kids about that for an entire season, when they go like, uh, I can't believe that the ref called that you go, that's outside our control. Just label it outside our control. Let's mm-hmm. move past it. Um, this sucks. We're down by five goals outside of our control. Move past it. Like, what is inside our control, guys? What is inside? And just kind of keep hammering and hammering and hammering it. It's a language that they can understand. Maybe you have to kind of classify that a little bit, depending on how old is it, fifth and sixth graders or is it eighth and ninth graders. Yep. But that to me, I would drive home that principle. I wouldn't go so far as to even talk about mindset because it's too esoteric. It's too mm-hmm. fuzzy. It's too elusive. Just go, we're going to lean into things that we have control over how hard we practice, what time we show up, what we're doing for stretching, the way we talk to each other, that type of stuff. And then really use the language as the, um, uh, as the metric for how we're doing. Because mm-hmm. um, if they're complaining, this, another way to say this is just eliminate complaining. Because the only thing people have to complain about is things that are outside their control. Because if it's inside your control, you wouldn't complain about it, you would just do it. Like it's it nothing. People don't complain about things that are inside their control. So I would bring and highlight that as much as possible and then eliminate, eliminate complaining. This isn't a question, but, I, but I have a kind of a follow-up that I've been thinking about a little bit. Um, uh, and I'd love your experience and also kind of your advice, uh, for, in line with this question, which is Emerson, my, my four and a half year old just started doing a little bit of soccer. It's not real. It's just like, bunch of kids running around. Kicking the ball. It's not real. But one of the things that <laughs> one of the things I noticed, but I noticed obviously I'm paying attention to him, but also kind of watching this group of kids is every kid, not every kid, but but generally every kid kind of reacts to a different kind of thing, a different kind of uh, 
challenge, a different kind of experience, whatever, right? One kid might be really shy and a loud voice might make him cower. One kid might be really outgoing and, you know, all these things. So they react to different stimulus in their own kind of personal way. And so what my kind of question to you is how much either kind of in this age group or just generally is like, how much as a coach do you start thinking about, okay, well, Johnny reacts this way. And so, yes, I'm going to talk about control. I'm going to talk about all these things, but I'm going to make sure that I talk to him in a way that he responds to it. Or is that as a coach, is that too much? Is that too, too specific and not, not, uh, realistic when you've got, you know, a team of 10, 15 kids? No, no. I think regardless of the age group. So if I was talking to Emerson, I probably wouldn't talk about what's inside your control, what's not. Like right. that's not right, where I wouldn't four. go there. Yeah. Right. But for middle schoolers, <laughs> right. I think it's time to have that awareness. Right. But to answer your question, uh, it's always individualized. Hmm. The only time like you don't, you talk to the macro when you shout from the rooftops is in this sense where there is no one on the receiving end. This is just... High level principles, it's why every answer actually is depends. But yeah. when you're talking to uh, a team of 11 four-year-olds, it's not depends. It's mm-hmm. I'm going to whisper to Johnny. I'm going to really look um, Billy in the eye. I'm going to be stern with Joe. And I'm going to make sure that uh, I'm really um, um, delicate with you know, Mark, whatever, it, but mm-hmm. everyone is super unique and you have to try to understand what is the, cause all we're trying to do is communicate and everyone yeah. to your point, everyone communicates and, and interprets things in their own way. And at that age, it can be as probably even more obvious cause they don't have the filter system. Yeah. Like they just start crying. Yeah. Like it's just like <laughs> tears where we like bottle up. We're like, we're not going to show it. And then you go home yeah. and you either like get pissed off when you're at home or it just becomes a part of your makeup. Now, unfortunately it's like, yeah. it's almost better to go home and vent it and get it out. And it becomes the story we tell ourselves. So, um, yeah, I do think it's really important for coaches at every level to talk to people on an individual basis in the way that they would receive it best. Yeah. Okay, next question. Can you and Ben talk about warning signs that your ladder is up against the wrong wall in work, relationships, fitness, etc.? For example, I feel that occasionally not loving your job but feeling overall happy and motivated isn't a sign that your ladder is up against the wrong, the wrong career wall. But having more days where you don't feel happy, uh, happy in it uh, could be a sign. Okay, so she said, can you and Ben? So let's, let's go, Pat. Yeah. You, you, can, you can start. <laughs> Okay, so I guess the first question or the, the first thing is like, you know, how do you find out or how do you, what is, what's a warning sign and what's just kind of a natural, I think the first thing I think about is like, as somebody who is very fortunate to like do the work I want to be doing, every single day I get to wake up and I do the work that, I, that I'm genuinely interested in and passionate about, I still have days where I don't want to do it. I still have moments where I'm like, ah, this is just like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Uh, this isn't working. I'm not happy with this, whatever. So that's the first thing I think about is like, you've got to recognize that it's not an on off switch. You don't get to figure out, okay, my ladder's up against the right wall. And then I never take a step backwards. I'm always going forwards. Cause at least in my experience, as somebody again, who's, who's very fortunate to get to do this, man, like there are still moments where it's like, this isn't working and I don't know what I'm doing and I got to go take a long walk. Um, and then, so to the question though, I would say you just know, and you've got to be honest with yourself when you figure it out. 
in, in, in earlier years of my life when I, when I didn't know what the heck I was doing and I definitely wasn't doing what uh, I, I was really felt like I meant to be doing. Like, you know it, you get it. And then the question then becomes, what are you going to do with that recognition? What are you going to do when you have that moment of self-awareness? Are you going to, back to what you just said, are you going to bottle it up? Are you going to swallow it? And you, are, are you going to just suffer? Or are you going to say, okay, well, this isn't it. What am I going to, what am I going to do about that? And that to me is the key is like one, you've got to be really aware when that moment pops up and you know it in your gut, admit it and then say, okay, well, what's the first step? That uh, almost verbatim word for word would have been my answer. Honestly, you, you pulled the words right out. Um, the big ones to highlight there is it's your gut. You know yeah. it and you know it. People don't give enough credit to their gut. They try to be logical. They try to be analytical. Yeah. And you, what happens when they do that is they rationalize away. And they go, uh, and it takes like three steps to remove themselves from their gut. I feel this way, but do I really? No, my job's pretty good. Actually, the benefits mm -hmm. are really good. And I like the commute. Like, and then they're back to like, and they just sit in it. Yep. When at their yep. gut level, they know this isn't right. So you have to kind of like, you have to rely on that. And your gut is what I just believe is way more powerful because you can't put into words. It's a reason you have your gut. It's because we are as human beings and we are part of the animal kingdom. We're the only ones that can rationalize. Everyone else does go off their gut. Everyone else does go, everyone, when I say everyone, I mean other animals. <laughs> yeah. They truly just go off of their instincts and if they're afraid of something, they just go run away from it. They don't go like, I'm afraid of it. And why am I afraid of it? And does it, which can serve us in a big, big way. Yep. But to yep. the point where we've been, we've learned to distrust our guts. And that I think is one of the biggest disservices we could possibly do. And my metric for that is what do you feel late on Sunday nights? Hmm. Love that. Like on a late on a Sunday night, when you know it's switching away from weekend mode, and you're switching into work mode, what do you feel? And if you feel like a little, and man, like I feel like the more people become aware of the triggers and like become aware of like, there's a feeling, it literally is happening inside of you. It's not fuzzy, it's not great, it's not great, it's, it's real, like it's so real. And if you get in tune with that and understand what that means for you, and if you don't feel excited on Sunday nights for what's coming up on Monday, that to me would be, now it's not obviously every single, as you said, when you let off your answer, yeah. it doesn't need to be every Sunday. And the person that asked this question alluded to it, like more often than not, I feel this. Then for me, it becomes this level of where do you want to live on your risk spectrum? That's the next thing you have to, because change is risky. And yep. The grass is not always greener. And if you go, if you're, you can actually fall too much prey to your gut and just be constantly flipping and never committing. So you have to find this nice mm. kind of in between of like, I'm going to listen to this. I'm going to root it. I'm going to understand it. And then I'm going to assess this without too many biases of like, what am, am I afraid of taking the risk or what? And to me, that's the level of understanding of, and do this on a constant basis Yeah. of like the ladders, are they leaning up against the right walls? Yeah. A couple of really big things. The, the feeling or the trigger that creates the feeling is so important to learn how to 
here <laughs> yeah. and, and pay attention to because it's really also easy to stuff down and, and push away and to ignore. And I think that that's a huge part of it. It's the same thing, right? It's that self-awareness thing. It's like when something happens and you feel this thing, don't ignore it because it's telling you something. That doesn't mean that it's right, but it's telling you something and it's important to try to figure out what that thing is. And then the second thing to, to the last thing you just said is I think that there is uh, there, there needs to be a certain regular cadence to checking in on these things, whether it's quarterly, whether it's whatever, like you've got, whether it's weekly, you have to be able to review where am I? How is this? How is this going? Is this working? Why do I? It's been three weeks and I still feel like like junk. Why is that? Where is this coming from? Is that big? Is it small? Whatever. I just think like so often we we pretend that we don't have to reflect back to learn what we should be doing going forward. And I just I, that's just you know we've talked about before the 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 value and the power of journaling. That's just what that is. Is take a minute, go backwards so that you can figure out how to go forwards. And that's just, it's so important because it's easy to ignore because it's uncomfortable and because it requires you to sit still <laughs> and it requires you to ask yourself some questions. Um, but that's it. That's how you figure out, is, uh, am I up against the right wall? Well, think about the last six months. What, what has that been like? Because that'll tell you everything you need to know. And I, and I would um, further that with... Um... I want people to like have their heart on fire. Like you should, yeah. like when I'm saying Sunday night, I want you to be like pumped for Monday morning, not like okay with it. I want you to be ex so excited for Monday. Now, if not every single Sunday that happens, I get it. Like that's fine. But it's not like I'm lukewarm. I'm okay. This is do what sets your heart on fire. Too many people ask what the world needs. What the world needs is more people with their heart on fire. They don't need another accountant. We don't need another actuary. We don't need another fill in the blank of whatever that mundane thing is that you're doing. What we need is like, do you love backpacking? Yeah, I get it. But like, you're, it's gonna be hard to make a living backpacking, but it is, it truly sets you on fire and there's, it would not make a, a that. I would encourage people to pursue it and I would encourage people to pursue it regardless of where they are in their journey. Cause people go like easy, Ben, that's really easy. When you're 22, you did it when you're 22. Uh, I think too many people go like, I have a responsibility now. I have a mortgage. I have two kids. I have college. You don't need to have that mortgage. You can downsize your kids don't need to go to co college and you don't need to put them through college. Like, don't go with what society says you should do. That's why you're stuck in this place. Mm. Do what you think you should do. And if it's backpacking, like go start, be brave, go start a backpacking tour or don't even do that. Go work for a back, be a guide. And then how much happier are your kids with a dad that is so freaking fulfilled? That it comes home yeah. every day, so full of life, so full of energy, so willing to share the best things about this universe with his family, as opposed to a dad who comes home with a bigger paycheck, but is miserable, which is tired, which is dreary and a drain. Be a fountain. Yeah, we can talk about that for a while. Next question.
After living and training my entire life at sea level, I moved to the mountains four years ago. I love, I, by the way, I love this two minute drill. It's like so like all over <laughs> from like this like, the best fulfillment thing to like, oh yeah, to like, I live yeah. at sea level. Like so, <laughs> like this big high level pie in the sky type thing to this like yeah. so like nitty gritty. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Cool. Okay. okay. Well, I'm at sea level. Yes. Uh, I moved to the mountains four years ago. My conditioning still is not caught up. I redline uh, early in every Metcon and have to take three times as many breaths before I can do the next set. It feels like I'm breathing through a straw and hitting time caps every day, which is killing my mindset. I'm constantly struggling with the idea that uh, I get less work done than if I were back at sea level. I've heard conflicting advice about what I should work on. Is it long zone two cardio sessions or more sprint work or grinding through heavier weightlifting progressions? Is there any hope that my lung heart capacity will catch up? Yeah, I can do this one in two minutes. It's the long, slow zone two. Got it. Got it. Do you want to explain that, or do we? Have yeah. So, like, one's going to build up. Uh, that's going to build up more capacity. That's what that is doing. Is building more lung, um, the ability, um, recoverability. Where the other one's building more of like a tolerance. So, set thought of another way, like these high intensity interval trainings, which is what a lot of people do to try to expand their. Um, their aerobic capacity. That's more of like a tolerance type thing, which you're going to get like, maybe I could go at 185 beats a minute instead of like conking out 45 seconds in, I might be able to stretch that to like 51 seconds. Mm -hmm. In the long spectrum of things, that's not that big, six seconds. Like, but you're able to push, it's kind of like holding your breath. Practice Mm -hmm. holding your breath. Think of that as like the interval type piece because it is. It's anaerobic. It's without oxygen. So think about like if we're trying to hold your breath and just how long could you hold it for? And maybe like over the course of a while, we could extend that out maybe 10, 15, 20 seconds. Cool. That's a, that's awesome. That's not going to help you get to where this guy wants to get to or this gal wants to get to. What you want to do is actually get um, – extend how long you're comfortable, not extend mm-hmm. how long you're uncomfortable. It's not – the tolerance at the pain point, it's push back the pain points. And the way you push back the pain point is by doing the long, slow distance stuff. B, so what I mean by that is uh, jump on a bike. Zone two for people is um, just to the point where you're kind of, where you're, um, you start breathing a little bit heavy. You could, you still hold the conversation, um, but it's not like legs burning. Your legs are, wor- you're working. For most mm-hmm. people, that's if you have a heart rate monitor and you're on a bike, it's going to be somewhere around like 125 to 140 beats a minute. If you're running, add 5 to 10 onto that. So 130 mm-hmm. to 150, somewhere in there. Got it. Next question. I just moved to a new city and I'm trying to pick a new CrossFit gym. I plan on dropping into a few uh, a few of them. What are some key factors I should consider and look out for while I am dropping in? So first off, I love that you're dropping in. You're just not checking their websites. Uh, so mm. there's things I would look for on the website, but that's not what the question is. Um, so because when I go to travel somewhere, I don't have the option of like going and traveling around to check them out. Yeah. I have to like, I have, right. to, I have to throw darts. Make a choice and get, yeah, and get yeah. to work on it. Um, but if you have the opportunity to go around and travel, we've already answered this question. Mm. It's your gut. Yeah. You know it. Like you don't, I don't have to tell you what to look for. You know it. When you walk in there and you take a class, you know it's the one that you enjoy being at the most. It's, yep. I can't imagine another answer. Like, I just can't imagine. Like, Why would you go to a place that you didn't enjoy as much? 
Now you go, well, because they had better equipment. Well, was it enough to tip your enjoyment level over to you enjoyed it more? If that's the case, go there. If it wasn't, then you didn't enjoy it much, even though they didn't have as good equipment. It's kind of like I have, you know, the option of dating five different people. Who should I date? Mm -hmm. Well, it's the one you enjoy dating the most, but this one's better looking. This one, you know, has more like, well, yeah, taking all those things come into consideration of who you like to date the most. (laughs) Which one has the most Instagram followers? That's the only one that matters. Right, yeah. Next question. I work in construction and I get in about 55 to 60 hours of work per week. By the time I get home every day, I feel beyond physically taxed and I'm down in the Southern States where it is very hot often. How many days a week realistically do you think I could pull off going to a CrossFit gym? Right now it's zero. You come home every day exhausted. Why would you go and get more exhausted? What you need to do is dial in the other four factors of your lifestyle. So right now, one of those factors is outside stress and it's happening through your job because you do manual labor. Good on you. That's a great way to make a living, um, but it's wearing you down. So because mm-hmm. of that, you're super active. You need to, you're basically the guy that like is working out at the gym already. You're already doing it. You're already doing too much. It'd be the same question of like a games athlete going like, I'm doing four workouts a day. Um, how can I get a fifth workout in? The answer is you got to dial in the other factors. You got to really pay attention to your sleep. You got to really pay attention to nutrition. You got to really pay attention to um, your relationships and the other things going on in your life. You got to really pay attention to hydration. You got to do active and passive recovery. You got to make sure you don't have any of the other vices in your life like alcohol, tobacco, caffeine, whatever it might be. Once you get all those – Instagram, great call. Once you get all those (laughs) things dialed in – then we can start to figure out, but the answer is not like you don't start with adding in more work. That makes no sense. Yeah. Love it. Next question. If cross, uh, if CrossFit were in the Olympics, which we've talked about before, yeah. if it were in yeah. the Olympics and it had to be predetermined workouts, what three named workouts would you choose? Um, I love the, the hypotheticals that they're, yes. it's fun. This is go, this could go in our hopper talk, right? Yes. Uh, Cause it's more of a. It's more of a who would win, Batman versus Super. There's no right answer. <laughs> um, not that my other answers are right at all anyway. It's like, <laughs> I don't want to pretend like Disclaimer. I, yeah. Uh, at, we, at like 50% of people just turned us off. Like, oh, <laughs> all right. So they have to be um, really different spectrums and they have to test a wide variety. So that's kind of yep. saying the same thing twice. But what I mean by that is um, time domain wise and um, movement based wise and loading skill based wise. So, uh, to throw some out there, let's start off with the big endurance test. Uh, we'll go with, um, like, a. you mentioned this in another one, which is Eva. Eva mm. is probably the, like one of the biggest, most over-programmed workouts there is. So why not throw it in the games or in the Olympics? Yep. If we're, we're going to do this, let's over-program one. For those that don't know, <laughs> Eva is an 800 meter run. 30 heavy kettlebell swings, 70 pounds for guys, 53 for girls, and 30 pull-ups, five rounds. (laughs) So you're doing two and a half miles of running, 150 heavy swings, and 150 pull-ups. Like that's a great games test. I might switch out the swings Mm -hmm. for like dumbbell snatches because it's easier judging. Um, And then to get the other end of that spectrum, let's go short, sweet, high skill, and maybe something like uh, Amanda. I get that we're doing two upper body pulls there, but muscle-ups are kind of a cool test. And squat snatches super test so many things with a squat snatch. 
and the elite people are going to do that in, you know, sub five minutes, you know, some maybe yep. sub four. And then I'd want to get something in heavier, but not like a total because I was so, I only get three tests um, and I want to be fitness based as well. And I would go mm-hmm. probably with some of like uh, Linda, the three bars for death, hmm. which was in yep. the regionals. Um, bench pre- fixed weight, so not percentage of body weight. I would go um, 10 down to one of, I think the order is deadlift, bench press, squat clean. Yeah. Um, and the weights would be something like bench press would be 205, squat clean would be like a 165, and the deadlift would be like a uh, 315, somewhere in there. I feel like I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but I think the first time I met you was at CrossFit Boston in like 2000. We used to do Linda every New yeah. Year's Day. Yeah, yes. we must have talked about this. But you know. and Heather yeah. came over. Yeah. And we watched you do it and we were like, "Oh, that's how you're supposed to do that work." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we weren't getting we weren't we weren't quite hitting the intensity uh, uh, that you guys ended up showing up with. Oh, it's amazing. Um, love it. Okay, cool. Next question. Yeah. I don't think more. we've ever talked about that. That's really funny. No. Um, yeah. okay. I've been doing CrossFit for almost a decade, coaching uh, coaching for seven of those years. I'm an L2 coach with loads of gym leadership experience. Uh, I and my gym owners have always taken the quality of our coaching very seriously. Life has taken me to a new state, and I've joined a new gym. This gym has a history of sending athletes to the games, so I joined expecting good things. I've been going for a few weeks as an athlete and haven't received a single cue. Only one athlete has said, good job during the workout. I'm so let down. I don't feel like my standards are that high, and I'm not an amazing athlete. I want coaching. Mm. Only the newest athletes who get serious... Uh, only the newest athletes who need serious help appear to get any coaching. One coach even wanders off to chat with his buddies during class. What do I do? How do I pro- approach mm-hmm. the owner who just bought the business after COVID? I want them to succeed as they have a great space and a great reputation. So that little bit about buying the business after COVID, I think is important. Yeah. But, um, thoughts. I would, uh, it's a, a, I love the question. Um, and it's a difficult thing to approach. My suggestion, and again, like disclaimer, this would be my suggestion, would be to go to the owner and volunteer to coach some classes. Mm. If you go there and go, hey, I've noticed that dot, dot, dot. You're just going to put the guy on defense. It's going to be you. My take is like you go there with anything other than a willingness to help. It's not – if you go there like I'd love to give your coaches feedback. I'd love to – if you go there with anything that's – going to show what they're doing wrong it's going to take a really enlightened person to not get defensive about that because it's their Mm -hmm. business it's their baby and maybe they're that type of person that'd be phenomenal but the easy way to get around that which be like i I, um you know i used to be a coach i'm a level two coach i used to run a gym don't say anything about like i think your coaches aren't doing it right just say you know i'd love to um coach i'd love to volunteer to coach a class or two for you and just show them how you do it. And with any sort of awareness, they'll see the gap. And if they don't see the gap, you've shown that you can coach. And then what you do after that is you can then, after classes, go around and just talk to some of the members about some feedback that you see them doing. Don't overstep the coach's bounds. Don't make sure. So make sure it's tactic. You know, people that you have really strong relationship with already and go up to them because you're going to them as friends and giving them feedback. That can be intimidating for the owner and for the actual coaches. So my suggestion would be to put that off for a little bit. And right now, mm-hmm. 
just if you really do care and you really um, are a good coach would be to volunteer and um, show them, don't tell them. Next question. What are the pros and cons of offering an open gym period at the gym? Pros are that, well, there's, so let's first define what that is. So what that means for people that aren't familiar is most CrossFit gyms have classes that are scheduled. Some gyms also open up the gym in non-class times and they call it open gym. Some gyms charge for open gyms. Other gyms do not. So what are the benefits? It's potential additional revenue. That's one. Second is it gives members an opportunity to work on things outside of the class. So for us, we do this because we have mm. comp train. So outside of class, if you want to do the accessory work that comp train programs, you're free to do it outside of the class. There's open gym times. The negative side of that is it can erode the community. So you, yeah. I would suggest opening up a gym, depending on what kind of gym you want to create. But if community is a big aspect for what you're looking to create, I would not suggest starting with open gym times. I would actually very strongly discourage it. If you're trying to create a competitive environment where people do above and beyond the class, you need to do this. But recognize that there's... Um, those things are not always in line, competition and community. So it's understanding what you're trying to create. I would not go into it thinking like it's a way to make more money because mm -hmm. then what you're doing is you're asking people to pay more or pay a different membership for not getting coached. Yeah, That's a really weird kind of dynamic for a gym whose product is coaching. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it, for me, when I when I work with gyms and talking about open gyms, it's always you always think about like I think like an element of open gym is okay, but when there's just like come and you can be an open gym member, what you've got to start thinking about is well, what is that person going out into the world and, talk and talking you. about yeah. to other people? How you oh you go to the CrossFit gym? How is it? Oh, it's it's fine. I just kind of like go and I do my own thing. Yeah. That's to your point, that is not actually the service you are delivering. And so that person is going out into the world and lying to everybody else about what they could get if they walked into your gym. Yeah. And so, again, some of it maybe is okay, but I think just a solo thing is just, it's what are you actually accomplishing by doing that? I think is an important question. Your reputation is the most valuable thing that you have. You can control the narrative of your reputation. Yeah. And this is one of the mechanisms you can use to control that narrative. Once you open up the gym to open gym memberships, you lose that control yep. because people yep. are not getting the same experience that you want them sharing with other people. Yep. Love that. Last question we've got. I started my CrossFit coaching career two years ago and already have my L2 planning to take my L3 by the middle of the year. Um, but my background is not physical education as a degree. I feel like I'm lacking knowledge, therefore. So I'm kind of learning by myself about everything related to sports and the human body. I started to get more personal training clients, which is where I make most of my money. But I feel, uh, I feel like having, I have no time to study anymore. Would it be smart to reduce my client number and some client hours in, in order to have more time to study, but at the same time reducing my income? Huh. Depends. 
<laughs> but here's what it depends on is how many clients do you have right now? If you have 70 yep. clients, right? You're working 70 sessions a week right now. The answer is by God, yes. Like you are, <laughs> like if you have to. If you have six personal training sessions right now, like the answer is no. Mm -hmm. And I would default to no being the answer regardless. Not regardless, but um, minus those factors. Yeah. If you're somewhere in that gray zone in between. And the reason being is, I don't think you can learn anything in a book that you can learn actually practicing in the field or in the gym. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's what you're saying is you have the opportunity to actually um, get in a kitchen and be a chef, or you could study because this person's saying studying in, I'm assuming that means in a book, mm. a cookbook or anything like that is not going to teach you nearly as much as actually getting your hands. This is a bad analogy for because I should cook, but getting your hands dirty. <laughs> now, if you were to say, I have the opportunity to work with a mentor, that would be totally different for me. I would go 100% cut back on your clients and go work with the mentor. That's going to be the shortcut. But you're never going to get out of a book what you can get in actuality. Now, I'm not saying don't study, but I'm not saying mm -hmm. don't cut back your clients either. Like you got to mm. actually do the work. There's a reason it's called 10,000 hours of practice, not 10,000 hours of study. Mm. It's doing the actual work. That's why they say after you get your level one, that like the thing to go do is to go train, like go train people. They don't say after you get your level one, they don't say now go study for your level two. It's go and train people. You have to actually train people. Got it. Thank you, my friend. That was fun as always. Thank you to everybody out there for sending us these good questions. Again, you can find me on Instagram, P.S. Cummings. Drop me a DM. I will get it to, uh, we'll put it on our list and we will get to it in a future episode. Thank you for your ratings and your reviews. Ben and I will be back with another episode of Chasing Excellence next week. You can get every episode of Chasing Excellence wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Until next time, thank you for listening.